This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Have you ever thought through what being faithful looks like practically? Um, I didn't usually think about things like that until uh, I got older and started to uh, challenge and question and look at my faith. And the issue was I didn't know what God wanted from me. I grew up in a context where I thought that being a good Christian means going to church every Sunday and maybe making it to prayer meeting every now and then, and then read my Bible and uh, reading my Left Behind series. And um, see, a couple people got <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a real Christian. But, um, but I know God wants more of us. He's given us gifts and talents for his glory. And the problem is a lot of times we hide those gifts and talents. We, we have a misconception that God saved us so that we could live here temporarily a really, really good life. Or at least a peaceful life. And I'm not saying that you can't have a good life. I can't, I'm not saying you won't have a peaceful life, but that's not guaranteed in the Scriptures. Actually, the Scriptures guarantee the opposite, that if you are saved, there will be trouble. There will be difficult times. And the challenge for you as a believer in Jesus Christ is how we respond when those difficult times come. You know, when I grow up, I learn about concepts of envy and covetousness and jealousy and those things are insecurities and those things internally that hinder me from being a good friend. What I didn't realize I got, until I got older is those same things can hinder me fulfilling God's purpose and plan for my life. God's looking at my motivation when I'm doing his will. We talked about that last week that our rewards, if not done in the right vein, would be burnt up incinerated. They won't be able to stand the test of fire that's coming. Well, today we're going to talk about a little bit of different concept regarding rewards. A lot of people have a misnomer that, you know what, once you're saved, automatically you get rewards. I had this conversation this morning with a young man as I walked in the church. He asked me, what are you talking about today? I'm saying, I'm talking about rewards. He said, well, don't you get rewards once you're saved? I'm like, no, that's not what the scriptures convey. Actually, the scriptures convey the possibility of you receiving no rewards. Now, some people say, and I was one of those people a long time ago when I was in my sins, that, you know what, I don't care if I don't get any rewards in heaven. As long as I make it, I'm good. And I used to have the mentality, kind of apathetic, kind of like, hey, you know what, I got insurance. I'm not going to hell. But as I got older, I realized there's more to the story than that. God wants us to have rewards that we will never, ever lose. And based upon how we govern or steward the gifts God's given to us, we'll determine the rewards we have in eternity. Today, we're going to talk about a particular scripture that I, I think about uh, five years ago, looked at probably several times and never saw this main point. If you can, open your Bible up to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to start with verse 8, and we're going to jump to 15 through 19, so mark that in your Bible. I got a quote here um, that I like from a man named John Wesley, one of the most influential Christians of all time. And he said this. He said, when a man or woman becomes a Christian, he or she becomes industrious, trustworthy, prosperous. Now, if that man or woman 
when he or she gets all he or she can and saves all he or she can, does not give all he or she can. I have more hope for Judas Iscariot than I have for him or her. There should be based upon your salvation, based upon your repentance, a new life that you have. And God wants us to have a spirit of generosity. Now, we talked about here last week when we talk about giving to God. It's not solely we give to get. We're really being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ so that we are conduits of God's grace to the world. God wants to use us to work through us. So we have to be good stewards, and that's what Jared was referring to earlier, good stewards of all the things God has given to us. God holds us accountable for what he has given to us. You may look at my wife and say, oh, man, you have a beautiful wife. She's so hot and fine. You better not say that. She's so beautiful. Oh, you're such a blessed man. And I'm like, I know. I know. You don't got to tell me two times. But nevertheless, my wife has to be a steward of her beauty. Having looks is a gift, and you can abuse that very gift. Some people have the voice of an angel. My wife also happens to have that gift as well, and can sing like an angel. But don't you understand God has given you that gift for a purpose? Some people have the ability to connect with people easily. They just, I just do it naturally. Don't you understand that as a gift you've been given from God and you need to use that gift for his kingdom. And regardless, you may never have had a hangnail in your life. You have good feet. Use those good feet to walk around and tell people about the kingdom of God that's coming. You've been gifted with talents that I don't have and others don't have. And you are responsible to use those gifts for God. And that's what we're going to discuss today. If you don't have a spirit of generosity, you'll think those gifts are for you. And you'll consume them and abuse them. And that's not what they're for. God has given you those gifts for a purpose. And if you don't use those gifts for the purpose in which they were given, then in a sense you're going to stand accountable to God. We're going to be held accountable to God for the gifts he's given to us. What are you doing with God's gifts today? Let's jump into the scripture. I got a lot of background information I got to give because uh, starting next week, we're going to jump into the next month. We're going to jump into the words of Jesus. And that is going to last us approximately a year. Jesus said a lot. So we're going to talk about Jesus, Lord willing. If, if he comes, we'll not talk about it. But if Jesus Christ doesn't come for the next year, we're going to talk about the words of Jesus. The following year, 2019, we're going to talk about the heart of God. We will spend one year talking about God's heart for us. The following year, we're going to talk about the Spirit of God and how the Spirit of God is currently working in our lives and how God is asking us to be led by his spirit. So right, we're not, right now we're working on 2020 sermon series. So when you come to this church, you think I'm picking on you because I'm talking about something that you were talking about at your dinner table. Understand we do our sermons almost a year or two in advance. So this has nothing to do particularly with my ability to perceive what's going on in your closet. Not at all. 
If I happen to be talking about something you're dealing with, take it as God trying to communicate something very specifically to you. In Luke chapter 19, this is very interesting. Why? Because Luke 18, the last seven verses of the previous chapter, Jesus comes and heals a man who was blind. And this man had a very unique perspective about Jesus Christ. This man never saw Jesus at this particular point, and he cries out, Son of David. He's calling him the Messiah, basically. This blind man sees Jesus, his identity. When all the rest have trouble seeing who he is, this blind man has perception that has come from God. But this blind man couldn't get to Jesus, so he was yelling louder, son of David, son of David. And people were trying to tell this blind man, be quiet. He don't have any time for you. But Jesus Christ healed this blind man. The blind man, as a response of Jesus' healing, gets up and begins to follow Jesus. Keep that thought in the back of your head. Well, if you go on to Luke chapter 19, verses 1, I believe all the way down to verse 11, there's a man, and most people know him, his name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. I'm from West Virginia. It don't sound a low country coming out of my mouth. Nevertheless, he was a wee little man. We jokingly say about Zacchaeus. He was small, but this man was the chief tax collector. He was wealthy. He was small in stature, but he was wealthy. And nevertheless, this man Zacchaeus heard that Jesus Christ was coming, and he couldn't see Jesus because of his stature. He was too short. So he climbed on top of a tree to see Jesus. Now, he didn't cry out like the other blind man, the the blind man, the son of David, but Zacchaeus was lost nonetheless. But because of humility, he was willing to put himself in a position just to see Jesus. And because of this, Jesus Christ pointed him out, called him down. And as a result, this man ended up getting saved. Jesus said, I must come to your house. Jesus Christ called him a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was saved. There is a contrast and a comparison to both of these stories, but I have to talk about these stories because Jesus Christ then falls into this parable that comes immediately. In the presence of this blind man who was following Jesus, and in the presence of Zacchaeus, in a sense, Jesus tells this story to everybody who's around him. Everybody hears this story. That's important. The blind man who was a beggar followed Christ. Zacchaeus, who was wealthy, repented, and he did this right here. In verse 8, it says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. Now think about what this is saying. He just got saved about 10 minutes ago. And now this cat is saying, I gave half of my goods to the poor. How did that happen? Well, this is a participle here. He is, in the, he is presently giving half of what he has. He's in the process of doing it. Well, what's interesting is who is there receiving some of these gifts? The blind man who followed Jesus is benefiting from his salvation. He got up and followed Jesus. And then Zacchaeus then gets saved And blesses this blind man. God is doing something. The kingdom of heaven is connected. Because of the generosity of Zacchaeus and now came because Jesus Christ came to his house, this blind man who had nothing his whole life now is blessed. Both of them 
are now responsible to be good stewards of what God has given to them. And now Jesus, in a sense, listening to the rest of Zacchaeus' statement, and he says this, And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now, there's a lot of political implications in this particular scripture that we're not going to get into today. However, what we are going to talk about is this. Zacchaeus was saved and he repented. And his repentance led to these particular actions. And what were they? He gave half of his goods to the poor. He didn't need it. So he gave half of what he had to the poor. And also, if he was cheating anybody, he had to restore that. Not only just one for one, but four to one. Zacchaeus wasn't as wealthy after Jesus left his house. But he was actually more wealthy than he had ever been in his entire existence. Because what he had did is what Jared just described. He stored his riches in heaven. There's a point I want to make before we jump on. This word here is a problem. He says, I give half of my goods. And I recommend and ask for you Bible scholars to highlight this particular verse. And this verb, this verb, is because it's a verb right here. This word, look that word up. Because goods is not the best translation of this particular word. The word is actually more, I'll say, easily communicated by saying livelihood. What he's really saying is, look. I give half of my livelihood to the poor. He's not just giving him substance, material things. He's giving half of his life to the poor. He's just not saying, here, take $100 and be blessed. No, from this point forward, he will be actively engaged in the welfare of the poor. Got it? That's important. Because Jesus then goes on to tell this parable. And if we look at, once we get to the teachings of Jesus, we're going to talk about these parables. And my ability to break down parables is based upon the concept that I believe through Jesus' parables, he was really trying to communicate one central point. A lot of people try to take parables and they try to knock down every single area of the parable and say, see, see this, this donkey represented the, the Holy Ghost and and the, 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 the sheep represented for Jesus, and the doors represented the way. And it could, but that's not my understanding of why Jesus was telling parables. The parable Jesus tells here is ultimately that there will be people who accept him and people who reject him. Jesus just heals a blind man. He also, in a sense, brought salvation to Zacchaeus' home. Two men have accepted Jesus Christ's authority and gotten saved. In contrast to that, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and what happens in Jerusalem? He is rejected. So Jesus tells this parable about a nobleman who goes into a far country. And when he's a, before he goes away, he distributes or disseminates minus, ten minus. And these are, um, in a sense, types of currency. Most commentators say it's about three months' salary. And he gives ten minus to ten of his servants. And he goes away. Why? He goes away to receive the kingdom. The nobleman eventually will come back a king. He left the nobleman, he'll come back a king. And when he was a nobleman, he gave the gifts of a nobleman. He gave the responsibilities of a nobleman. But when he comes back, he's going to give the gifts and responsibilities 
of a king. That's what, this, that's what he's trying to communicate. So in a sense, the blind man and Zacchaeus now are being found faithful stewards. That's what they're called to be now, of God. And they have to live their life based upon what God has given to them. They can't, in a sense, they're not responsible to do more than what they have. They only have $10 or 10 Midas or three months' salary. They have to be good stewards of that in the parable. He's not telling them that you got to, in a sense, make 100,000 Midas. He's trying to say, be good stewards of what I've put in your hand. Some people have five cars. I'm not saying any names in here. But, man, don't you know there are people who don't have any cars? And God's like, are you being a good steward of what I've given to you? Some people have an Xbox One and an Xbox 360. Don't you know some people need an Xbox 360? Hello. No pressure. I'm just trying to say. (laughs) So hopefully you're still with me. Hopefully I haven't even uh, thrown myself off my own tail. But nevertheless, we have to get this now. So now... It says, and so it was that when he returned, now the king's coming back, having received the kingdom, this is the nobleman, now he's a king, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man gained by trading. This word trading is controversial because the more accurate translation is occupy. The nobleman left. He went away. He received the kingdom. But before he left, he gave his servants minus, money, resources. And when he came back, the nobleman had an expectation that they handled those resources well. They invested those resources and made more. The issue is about risk. A lot of people say it's about risk. It's not about risk. The issue is Were they faithful with what the nobleman had given them? And faithfulness here doesn't mean what I thought faithfulness meant. I thought faithfulness meant, okay, well, you're just not sinning. You're moral. I'm not watching Netflix anymore. I'm delivered. Oh. (laughs) Don't talk about the defenders. I don't hear that. (laughs) They're not watching. they're, they're, They're not going out to the... Finest restaurants. It's not about morality. It's not about eating healthy. It's literally about handling the resources God has given you. You are responsible for that. That's what the scripture is talking about. Now let me go on. Now out of the ten, he only addresses three. In verse 16, it says, Then came the first, saying, Master, your mina has earned ten more. Now this is the part. That blew my brain. I'm thinking, you're faithful with 10 minus or $10 or $100 or however you want to communicate it. I would think he would get more money. That's what I would think, right? You're faithful with money, you get money. That's what I thought was going to happen. And I read this scripture over and over for 20 plus years. And I always thought, okay, they were faithful with money. Obviously, they're going to get what? Money what he says. 17. And he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant, because you were faithful with a very little, or in a very little, you have authority over what? Ten cities? 
That does not compute. He went from being faithful with resources to be given authority over cities. I'll give you money. You handle the money right. You get to rule over a city? What's going on here? I don't understand, Lord. But don't you understand that's what this is about? We are kings and priests. And we talked about this two months ago. There are only three people that are referenced as kingly priests in the Bible. Melchizedek, Jesus, and the church. Those who are called out from the beginning of the Bible until this day. We are being trained to be rulers with Christ. In heaven, which this is referring to, you will have responsibilities. And here in this life, you are being asked to be faithful with what little you have. And if you're faithful with that little bit, the reward is not even comparable. Is anybody getting this? Are you just processing it? Are you with me? <laughs> you handle money, you get cities. He's not saying you handle money, you get businesses. He's saying you handle what you have, you get cities. Let that sink in one more time. Let me do the dramatic pause one more time. The dramatic look. Cities, you all. I've never even considered this. This is why you go through what you go through. You're given responsibility. Imagine this. Do you ever wonder, why does it have to be loving to everybody? Why does it have to be kind? Why does that mean person come in my life, God, every time that same type of person? I don't like that type of person, God. You always bring that same person around. Don't you realize who God is training you to reign over? God is equipping you and training you to rule with him over these tough people. Don't you understand that's why King David had to go through this trouble he went through before he became king? David had to be broken as a man, as a shepherd, because if David was this arrogant, boastful king, he would have been just like Saul and Absalom. But because he was out there with the sheep and then running for his life from Saul, living out in the desert, in the woods, embarrassed and humbled his Family having babies on rocks, hiding in caves. Because God was conforming his character so that he would be a ruler with a shepherd's heart. That's what this is about. God is trying to make you like Christ because Christ reigns via love. What type of ruler are you going to be in God's kingdom? Good and faithful, sir, because you're faithful at a very level. You have authority over how many cities? Not one. Not two. Ten cities. Now, where these cities are located geographically in heaven, I don't know. But I do know one thing. What if you are the ruler of Los Angeles? I'm going to go to L.A. I'm going to be California dreaming. And I'm going to visit your city, who you're the ruler over. But not only L.A., but you may be the ruler of Dallas, Texas, too. 
Are we going to let Bashan get all the cities, y'all? No. <laughs> Here we go. Verse 18. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. And Jesus says, likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. The point is, the word mitas correlates to what I put earlier in verse 8. Goods, livelihood. God has given us all resources. Now, what's interesting, this does not mean just here in these four walls of the church. This is referencing what you do with every single area of your life. This isn't calling everybody to be a pastor, a prophet, a teacher, evangelist. This is calling you where you are to be influential with the resources you have to expand God's kingdom. A lot of times people try to make this all that the church is, and we know the church is the body of Christ, mystically and geographically. And where you are, there goes Jesus. Some of you have to, in a sense, live all your life outside of doing full-time ministry because your full-time ministry is outside of these walls. The church is called to expand God's kingdom, and if you're faithful with what little God has given you, you will be ruler over much. Got a couple of points, and we're done for the day. Point one, your ability to effectively steward the life God has given you is the proof that you're able to manage more. I have a very simple, practical analogy. As you know, I used to play for the Minnesota Vikings, the hometown team. And because I wasn't a bad apple as a player, I, I'm going to throw this out there, and then we can erase it later. Because I wasn't one of those guys on the love boat, Oh, he went there. Yes, I did. We got a camera. We can delete it. <laughs> because I had at least uh, some semblance of good character, I still have a relatively good name here in the city, in the state of Minnesota, in the city of Brooklyn Park. I stewarded my opportunity, and because I monitored my behavior, and I lived in such a way that I didn't, in a sense, live with reproach, I have now benefited from my behavior. You too now are living in such a way that will determine what you're able to manage in the future. You may never be the president of the United States or the governor of Minnesota. You may be, I don't know. But regardless, you have to understand if I am a janitor or I'm the attorney general, I have responsibility because God has gifted me to do the things that I'm doing. And I have to do them while I'm there. You can't assume one day God's going to put me in a position of influence. You're there right now. What you're doing right now is a minor. It's a resource God has given you. And you're responsible to use it in a way that gives him glory. You're a steward of what God has given you. Invest. Prove faithful with what little he has given you and you will get more. Next point. Your earthly performance will result in your heavenly rewards. Why do I say it just like this? Because a lot of times we talk about our faith and we think, you know what? We're saved by faith, not by works. Absolutely we are. We can't earn our salvation no matter how hard we try. That was what the Old Testament was about. The most moral people who ever lived were the Jews at that particular time. They were the moral elite. But yet, their righteousness was like filthy rags. They couldn't do it. Neither can we. So I'm not talking about earning your salvation, but I am talking about earning your rewards. You got to work that thing. 
Work it out and work it well. Because the more you work, the more you earn. That's what the scriptures say. Don't look at me that way. (laughs) Act trustworthy with what God has given you. It's your responsibility to be trustworthy with what God has given you. No one's going to tell you outside of your husband or wife, maybe a bill collector, hey, you're doing great with your finances. Your kids might say, Daddy, man, I want to go to the Mall of America one more time. Or your daughter may say, I want to go to Build-A-Bear and get another one to mess with one I already got. It doesn't matter. You and you alone are responsible to God because you can't go in front of God and say, oh, my daughter wanted two more Build-A-Bears. I just felt so bad because I couldn't give her what she wanted for her birthday. God's like, don't you know, you could have used that money to expand my kingdom in the unreached people group. You could have used that money to help the people down in below 85 Fifth Avenue to help them eat because they don't have money to eat their food. You could have used that money to help somebody go on a mission trip to Mexico, to Sudan. You are the one responsible with regards to how you handle the resources God has given you. If you can't hear the Holy Spirit, understand and know you are still responsible for what you do with the resources God has given you. There might not be a light that comes out of the sky and says, warning, warning, do not buy more rims for your car. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? I just got this new car. God, I just need some rims. No, 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 no. Understand you're responsible for what you do. with it. Now, I'm not trying to tell you, don't go on vacations. Go on your vacations. Go. You want to go to Mexico, go to Cancun, go to Jamaica, go to Bahamas. I'm not picking anybody. I'm not, I'm not even, I just, it just came out. It just, it just came out. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Have fun in the islands, right? But understand there will be a day where you got to say, huh, I can go to a mission trip with Pastor Bass Uganda, or I can go on a second vacation to the Dominican Republic. Well, I'll compromise. I'll go to the Dominican Republic, and I'll do mission work there, Lord. How about that, right? (laughs) You're responsible with your resources. You have the most powerful tool in all eternity inside of you, God. And he wants to love people right now who are being battered, broken, and abused. And when you go to those people, they will see God and not you. But you got to go. You got to go down here to Broken Park where people are broken, battered, and abused. And they just need a hamburger. They need baked beans. Next year, we got to have some baked beans, y'all. I'm just saying. We, can, we love each other enough. We can deal with what goes on after the baked beans. <laughs> Nevertheless, we need baked beans. So you don't want me to be the one to make the baked beans. Somebody got to take care of the baked beans. I'm just trying to say that, okay? But we did in church. We got out of our comfort zone, and we went into the community. And I believe in worship this morning. God was smiling on us because we did the right thing. We're just starting. Don't say, that's not the last time. We're going to go out as much as we can. So you need to start working. You need, oh, that's the Lord. He's, hold me to my word. (laughs) He marked it. He marked it. It's on the camera. See, he's telling you. We're going to go out in the, communi- in the community 
because it's not about us. There are people who are broken who don't even have a fourth of what we have. Let's give them an opportunity. I know you may have different perspectives on how people handle money or why people are poor. You may have a lot of different perspectives on that. And you know what? That's fine. But just understand God unequivocally says give to the poor because the poor you have with you, what? How can we fix that? I don't know if we can, but we're obligated to give to the poor. Next point. Prove worthy. Yes. Prove worthy to receive more authority from God. Prove worthy. These are words that that weren't in my Christian vernacular. Worth? Now, we know we get our worth from Jesus Christ, but we still have to prove ourselves to receive these rewards. You are gifted to do what God has given you. There's not a risk. You won't fail doing what God has asked you to do. Ask Haley. We were out there. No one came, right? We were out there for how much? Almost an hour. And we were like, oh, no. And we were trying to encourage each other to the Lord. Well, even if no one shows up, we still won because more people learned about Adura's church, right? We were like, yeah. But then people started coming. And they were like, yes, it happened. We won. We touched hearts and lives. God saw fit and deemed us worthy to receive people who may not ever hear the gospel or see Jesus. And this is just the beginning. Our faithfulness on earth will result in our fulfilledness. Thank you, Lord, in heaven. Fulfilledness is coming. Now, I thought once I got to the NFL, I'd be fulfilled. And let me tell you what I said to myself. Right before I walked on the field the first time playing against Brett Favre, I said to myself this. This is it? I've been doing this all my life to get here, and I'm still empty. I remember getting out on the field like, okay, I'm ready. I made a first tackle. Ah, people give me five. You're the man, man. So I'm like, I know. And I'm still empty on the inside. You know, the number one song of all human history, I found this a long time ago. It's a song that says, I can't get no satisfaction. And I try. Here we go. And I try. And I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. King Solomon says that in the book of Ecclesiastes. The richest and wisest man who has ever lived. He had supernatural intelligence and wisdom. He tried to do every single thing under the sun without God, to find purpose outside of God, and he could not. He had houses and homes. He had women. How many wives did he have? 600. How many concubines? 300. He had 1,000 women in his home. And he still said what? Vanity. He created great works of art. He built beautiful gardens, and he said, Vanity, you all. He read and wrote. He did everything we could possibly do to try to find fulfillment here on this earth outside of God. And he said, vanity. Think about it. You're not going to get smarter than King, this, this dude, than King Solomon. You're not. I'm sorry. You're not going to get richer than him. But you're not going to be fulfilled 
regardless of how hard you try outside of the living God. Because He is what you were designed for. This world is slowly fading away. God's not going to help you find satisfaction outside of Him. He's not. He'll allow you to try it. But when you're on your private jet, flying to Bosnia, to Croatia, to the Virgin Islands, you and your wife and your kids, your trust fund stacked, your head back, no turbulence, streamlining across the sky, there will still be this feeling inside saying, is this it? Your wedding day is going to come. Single people, pick on you for two seconds. You're going to be single all these years on the wedding day. You're going to say, I do. And this fill is still going to be there. Is this it? You're going to have your first kid. And you're going to be like, oh, this love is going to come from, where does love come from? This human being, I don't even know. But yet, this feeling is going to still be there saying, there has to be more. Fulfilledness comes. Fulfilledness comes. <laughs> that was on Facebook Live too, so I can't even edit that. <laughs> Only the presence, purpose, passion of our God. Last point. Remember, our rewards are earned. This time, I would love to quote for you a line from William Wallace in Braveheart. Why? I just like to quote it. It inspires me. But I won't do that to you. I'll say this. We're going to meet our king. And I think we may have to get in line to see him. Basically, what I see in the scriptures, there may be a line there. But if you're in line, Matthew, Amanda, if you're in line, Christy, Bashan, Don, I'll call everybody. I will forget some of you. Carla, Haley, if you're in line and you happen to be in front of me, I will push you out of the way. Because I'm going to be running to Jesus. We're going to make it. It's going to be okay. We're going to talk about this life here in heaven. And I'm going to say, man, we did it. And I want you to say, yes, we live well. And we finish strong for Jesus. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong.